it's so funny you meet a lot of entrepreneurs and you look at a lot of businesses and marketing plans and all kinds of things and one of the things that some companies still don't have which i always when i ask is at least a rough mission statement or why are you why are you doing this I and mean, something that really resonates you know you can usually tell by reading them if it's kind of someone's not put their heart into it so i always would ask students like you know why am i doing this start in that place really if you can understand that i think most of the rest kind of follows from there Welcome to the In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest is Darren Berkovitz, the co-founder of Telesign, a digital identity and programmable communications company whose services are used by billions of internet users monthly and 21 of the 25 largest internet companies. He's been featured in hundreds of media outlets, including Good Morning America, Entrepreneur.com, and MSNBC.com. In 2017, Telesign was purchased by Bix, one of the largest telcos in the world, for over $300 million. Since then, Darren has returned to his founder roots, focusing on investing and advising to early stage companies. I'm so excited to have Darren with me today, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Well, Darren, thank you for joining me today on InFactor. Well, thank you, Rebecca. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, you are someone I think that our students are going to love hearing from because you actually are still very young and you were <laughs> able to leverage your education to do some pretty exciting things at a young age. Let's start by setting the stage. You're the co-founder of a tech company called Telesign. Briefly, what is Telesign? Who are the customers? And how does the company bring value to those buyers? Yeah, so we started Telesign in 2005. And I like to say this is BI before iPhone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the premise that we had was that internet security is going to be a major issue problem coming up in the next decade. And believe it or not, you say that now and you say, of course it is. At the time, it really wasn't. There were, you know, security wasn't on top of people's minds. Mm -hmm. So we had the idea basically to provide an extra level of authentication using your phone number, which now most people take for granted. You get a text message with a code and you enter it and right. everyone knows what two-factor right. authentication is. But at that time, we didn't even offer text messaging. It was actually done through a voice call. So we had the idea if you tie your phone to your internet account, you can do all kinds of interesting security-related use cases to protect people's data and personal information. So the ideal client for Telesign was anywhere where you want to protect information. So basically anywhere there's a username and password, and obviously some logins are more need to be more secure than others. So if you think banking, mm -hmm. your email systems, corporate access, really where you want to protect and make sure unauthorized people aren't getting in. Yeah. So every time our bank says we're going to text, you know, we're going to text you and you got to enter this number, we have you and your partner. Yeah, <laughs> you can thank, yeah, you can thank us. And you're right. It's part of our lives now constantly, you know, and it's kind of amazing how much things have changed. I was lucky enough to be co-founder of a company around that time. And we use the internet, you know, in a very different way than it's used right now. And it seems very obvious, like you said, 
But at that time, there wasn't, you know, Web 2.0. So it was a completely different platform and different world. So yeah, everything was really focused on usability and getting more users and making things as easy as possible, which obviously is is admirable and, <laughs> and makes people's lives easier. But obviously, the balance always is doing that while still maintaining security. Right. It's kind of one of those things, you know, you you don't realize you need an alarm system until your house is broken into this kind of thing. So, and that was one of the challenges that we faced is kind of convincing companies to be proactive with security. Sure. Who who were the early adopters in this? So it was tough in the early days, you know, the first two or three years, it was a lot of no's, (laughs) a lot of, yeah, this is interesting. We'll call you when we have a problem. People aren't really asking for this. We were fortunate in that we found some early adopters. Our our first major client was actually a large online classified site that was having a lot of fraud and spam issues. Mm -hmm. So the use case for them was in order to post your classified listing, you have to verify your phone number. So if someone wanted to post a thousand times, now you would need a thousand phone numbers. It becomes much harder to do. So it Mm -hmm. changes the economics for the spammer. So slightly different use case. And then from there, we signed a few of the large email providers which is a huge use case. Obviously, if someone can break into your email, they pretty much can get access to almost your entire life. If you think mm-hmm. of what's it's kind of the brain, everything's centralized around people's emails. So email security was a big piece for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Darren, many of our listeners would love to have, I think, your entrepreneurial story. So let's go back to the beginning. I think you've said you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, even trying to talk your parents into investing. You went to USC, which I know to be a great school for entrepreneurs. And then you have experienced taking a concept from incubator to exit. So could you tell us where TeleSign came from, how you and your co-founders came up with that concept and, and built that company? Sure. So I always knew, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I took AP computer science in high school and I passed the test, but it became it did not come easy to me. So I watched some, you know, my fellow students just it seemed natural to them. So I said, you know, I still want to be involved with technology, but programming is probably not for me, but being on the business side is. So, you know, I studied at USC and then after school, you know, I, w- I wanted to start a business, didn't have any money, didn't have an idea, but knew that I wanted to do, you know, early stage startups. Seems crazy now where there's an incubator on every corner, but there are basically two or three incubators in LA. And I was fortunate enough to join one called Curious Minds. We worked on a lot of projects. Um, Most of them didn't work. But Telesign was born actually from an online backend site was having a lot of fraud and people using stolen credit cards and just all kinds of bad stuff. And we had the idea essentially to phone verify users and it stopped all of the fraud immediately. And so that was kind of the aha moment where we said, mm-hmm. okay, now can we repeat this? Then this is a business. So we did, and we mocked up a website, and we had a system that placed these automated calls, and it, we charged 10 cents, and it, it cost us 25 cents per call. So we, we lost 15 cents per call, but made it up in volume. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Classic entrepreneur story. <laughs> yeah, and then we're uh, you know, off to the races. That's great. So you learn so much along the way and being sort of, you know, most entrepreneurs are down in the weeds, which you have to be in the beginning, because that's how you figure out that you're losing 15 cents on each one so you can make a change, right? (laughs) 
so how important was it working at Curious Minds? You know, I'm, I'm curious about that because you're right. We do have incubators and accelerators, independent ones. We have a lot of them associated with universities. We have them on our campus. How important was that? And what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of working with an incubator or an accelerator? Yeah, I had a great experience. I mean, if for no other reason that you're surrounded by like-minded people, obviously we're in a different time where you're not really working in offices right now, but at the time, you're surrounded like, like-minded people. You have acts, sharing and pooling resources is always great. So for me, it was a great experience. And I think in 2020, as, as you said, there's so many options as far as incubators and accelerators. My only piece of advice would really be is, you know, you get out what you put in. You know, I think you can be really successful probably at any decent incubator and accelerator, but you have to put, you have to really be willing to put in the time. You know, I'm part of USC's, the engineering school at USC's accelerator. And we have a lot of great teams and there's, but there's a lot of work too. You know, there's a lot of speakers that come and investors and there's a lot you have to put in to get out from it. But it's such a great thing than just, you know, renting a space that we work at, just trying to figure it out by yourself. I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. But that's great advice, I think, because you really do get out of it what you put into it. The the help is there, but it's only going to be beneficial to you if you really are taking advantage of it. Definitely. So failure, resilience, and perseverance are common themes in most success stories. And I'm wondering, were there any challenges along the way for you? And you're smiling (laughs) as as I ask that question. And how did you learn to deal with challenges and failure? And how did you stay uh, on the path? I like to tell people, I think at Telesign, we probably made every mistake in the book. We hired the wrong people. <laughs> we priced incorrectly. We sold to the wrong companies. You know, we really did. We made a ton of mistakes, but we learned from them. And I think we kept plowing forward. I think, you know, the biggest thing is I think most people give up along the way. I'll tell you one story I think is emblematic of this. There was a large online auction site that we had tried to sell for years. And finally, I think after two or three years of talking to them, they agreed they wanted our services. And we went to procurement and procurement, you know, asked for a lot of information and essentially made the business judgment that we were too small of a company to risk such a critical security piece to to outsource Mm -hmm. it. So we made it to the one yard line and then, you know, we're shut down by procurement. We said, what if we give you our source code in escrow? If we go somehow go out of business or something bad happens, you, there won't be any interruption. And they said no. <laughs> so you can imagine how devastating after wow. three yeah. years that was. And then we, another, we plowed forward another two years and we ended up getting them as a client. So no joke, it took about five years of maybe three or four rejections. And looking back on it, you know, there was no external validation to continue. I mean, we should have probably packed it in but uh, we didn't. And we ended up obviously working out. Yeah. I think it was Steve Jobs that said the dif- difference between successful and unsuccessful entrepreneurs is perseverance. So yeah. you know, I think that's a great, great story for that. And entrepreneurship is about learning all along the way. I'm sure you learned a lot from that experience that you could probably apply in other situations. Yeah. And I think the other piece I learned really is it's mostly, and I think my view is entrepreneurship is mostly about psychology. I think the basics of business pricing and marketing and sales, you can learn 
that the psychological pieces I think are very, probably the most important. And when I meet entrepreneurs, oftentimes I tell people, usually I can tell within a minute or two of meeting someone if I think they have a chance of being successful by asking them some really simple questions. You know, why are you doing this? What motivates you? Those kinds of psychological questions. And there's, there's been some writing about it. There was an interesting article a few years ago called The Psychological Price of Entrepreneurship, which talks about you know, kind of the hard side of dealing with a lot of stress. And it's a very interesting topic that I think is is really relevant to whether or not people should be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by that. Is that when you say the the psychological side, are you, I mean, you bring up the issue of the kind of the dark side, but does it also mean having the right mindset? And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about your thoughts on what the psychological profile is and what what that looks like. Yeah, you know, I think it's very interesting. I think you have to be one a little bit crazy in the sense that <laughs> as I said you don't you get very little if none external validation in the beginning. Uh-huh. So, you know, all your friends will say, "Oh, great, you're going to start a business." So, okay, will you invest? No, 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 no. I, Aren't I you cute, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's great. So you really have to be, in the face of almost very little external validation, self-motivated and disciplined that you know what you're doing. And then also the reason why you're doing it, I think that's a big piece that is very important. Obviously, a lot of people focus on, you know, I'm doing this to make a lot of money or because this is what I want to do, but getting down to the real reason, because certainly not the easiest path and it doesn't have the highest probability of success. And there are a lot of downsides, as you said, the stress and and all that comes with it. So I think it's a very interesting thing to think about. And I oftentimes counsel would-be entrepreneurs and asking them these questions of, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? Like, And don't give me the like, you know, BS answer. What, what's the real reason? What's real? <laughs> yeah. 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 If they yeah. even know, that's part of the challenge, self-awareness, right? And, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really important to know yourself as you head down this path because you're right. It's not going to be easy. You know, sometimes knowing what you don't know is as important or more important than knowing what you know. And along the pathway, you know, I'm guessing that you and your partners learned that you probably needed some help along the way. And and so tell me about that. I see you nodding your head. So I'm thinking. Yeah. So, so, and actually, you know, USC did a case study on us and that actually the decision was in 2010, do we bring in outside CEO? And that was an example. The company had grown to about 15 people and we were having good problems, you know, scale problems, keeping the system, you know, a a security system needs to work 24, seven, 365. We needed to grow the engineering problem. And my partners and I looked at each other and we said, you know, we don't have the experience to do this. We've mm-hmm. not done it before and we could figure it out, but it was very stressful. And we had looked and said, you know, it's probably time for us to find someone who's done this before and who only who has this kind of experience. And I think our industry was particularly challenging because it is security and it mm-hmm. is Mm-hmm. The expectation for uptime and really everything working properly is so high. I think that pushed it in that direction. But that was certainly a time where we all raised our hands and said, we don't know the road ahead and we need some outside help. Yeah, that really smart. You know, I think that that shows a lot of maturity and actually a lot of, you know, wisdom. 
to know what we don't know and to know when to bring in assistance. And and very cool about the case study. I got a chance to read yeah. <laughs> Not everybody gets that. And what, how fun is that? It's a great case yeah, study. Yeah, that was a good, yeah, it was I'm, really I'm gonna, fun. And, yeah, and I'm we, gonna, they teach it at USC and it, it's, we come and speak to the students. It's, it's great. Yeah, I'm going to look at it to use too. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Fun for my students as well. Now, Telesign was acquired in 2017, I think. So can you talk about that? Was bringing in that CEO part of what enabled you to get to that point? I mean, what what was that pathway like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I like to tell people, you know, they say, wow, acquisition, you know. I say, yeah, you know, it was a 12-year overnight success. (laughs) That's how how long it took to get sold. And over the years, there were always companies interested and kind of poking around and acquisition. And around 2016, 2017, there started to be a, a lot of interest. And we went down the process and we all, you know, it was a, a decision of, you know, we had been doing it a long time, 12 years is a long time. And it just felt right. It felt like the right time. And Bix was a great acquirer. And there were a lot of synergies that really made sense. And yeah, it was a really... I wouldn't say easy decision, but it, it felt right to all of us that it was the time to sell. Now, you know, I'm really curious because in tech companies, a lot of times it's difficult to protect your intellectual property. And there are always a lot of copycats and a lot of competitors. And you went 12 years before you were acquired. How did that work for you? Were you able to protect it or did you build a brand or just a book yeah. of customers? How did that work? It, it's a good question. So we saw, and I give this example, in 2005, I mentioned we sold a transaction for 10 cents. When we sold the business, we would sell that same transaction for maybe one cent. So we mm-hmm. saw 10 times price compression in 12 years. Now, obviously the market grew, but it became very challenging. You know, the competitors popped up and their strategy was to undercut Telesign. That was, you know, what they did. So we, we saw challenging price compression, but we maintained a really great group of clients that trusted us and knew our quality, but it certainly was challenging. And it's not just Telesign. Any, I think the challenge in 2020 for good and for bad is the world changes very quickly, meaning you can disrupt people really easily, but you can also easily be disrupted really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the challenges too, as you think about, is it time to sell a company or not knowing? And obviously one only needs needs to look at the news to see companies, you know, I think an extreme example, like WeWork, <laughs> right. you know, in, a, right. in the period of a year, how the fortunes changed so dramatically for internal reasons, but also external reasons. So I think it's important to know. And I think, like I said, the, the sword cuts both ways for good and for bad. Things can, your, your fortunes can shift. Yeah, it's really interesting. This pandemic, for example, I'm on the board of a public company and who would have ever guessed that our company would do well. We sell boats and, you know, boats, (laughs) you know, bicycles, you know, who would ever think of that? And then companies, like you said, like we work people for, you know, quite a while were unable to gather and we still are, you know, socially distancing and who could guess that, you know, sometimes you just can't predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to keep in mind, especially when you think about you know, investors and timeframes and things. And obviously, there's always the natural thing. Can we make this bigger and, and more valuable? 
Yeah. Sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's what makes it interesting. You know, you have to pivot along the way and that makes it really interesting. You know, another really interesting aspect of your story, I think, is that you started this company with co-founders. Not everybody has a good experience, but just reading your case study and just the little bit that I know about it, it sounds like the three of you had a good partnership. Would you talk a little about that and what made that work? Yeah. Looking back on that, especially, I was very fortunate and I don't think we could have done it as, as, as being a solo co-founder, even two co-founders. And I think it worked for two main reasons. One, an extremely high level of trust and two, a really incredible level of honesty. And overlaying that with different skill sets, I think was the right combination to have. But anytime someone's a solo entrepreneur, I just think it's so much harder. Mm -hmm. uh, for Again, no other reason than just someone else to bounce ideas off of, someone to commiserate with. But it is extremely important that you pick someone you know, who you mesh with and good times and bad. And I was very, we were very fortunate. Honestly, I don't think without the other two co-founders, we would have had the outcome that we did. How did you make decisions? That can always be kind of a tough thing. Did you yeah. have a strategy and plan that out? Or were you just compatible enough that you were able to communicate through it? Yeah, probably the latter. We communicated through it. Once things started to get bigger, we had to have, you know, a tiebreaker and, kind of delegate and agree that some people would make decisions in certain areas. And for the most part, there were never any major decisions that we just vehemently disagreed with. There were always, always little things here and there, but there was never anything that it was just, you know, a fundamental disagreement. Yeah. So you left TeleSign in 2018 and, yeah. you know, I think you've been advising startups and other things like that. What's Darren Berkovich doing these days? And, yeah. And, and what, where are you headed? <laughs> so I'm having all the fun without the stress of actually doing it. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> so I'm doing a few things. I'm doing investing and advising early stage companies, which I really, really enjoy. And then I'm also involved at USC's, their engineering schools accelerator, which is absolutely phenomenal for me, one, to, to be part of USC, but it's because it's an academic institution, they take no equity, which is amazing when you think of an mm -hmm. incubator and accelerator, and they just have so many resources. So through that, I get a lot of really good exposure, especially in LA, and meet a lot of really great people and ideas. And it's just been really great for me. And obviously now it's totally virtual, but my hope is that you know we'll get back to being able to be in person, because I think that is one of the big central advantages of an accelerator and incubator is, you know, sitting next to people that have may have similar challenges to you and, and talking with them. Yeah. You know, at our institution, the University of Tampa, we built a space, beautiful 25,000 square foot space for that very reason, you know, oh. kind of a place for ideas to collide and people to come together. And it's been really tough during this pandemic, you know, because it's been very quiet there. And, and now we have yeah. all these rules about how far apart from people you have to be. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's challenging that, you know, social networking in a socially distant world is really challenging. And, and as we both know, so many things come, good things come out of those discussions and those chance meetings often. So it's really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. And I think especially in the early stages, 
when you really need a lot of guidance and help and you want to bounce ideas off of each other and you know zoom is great but it, it is limited i mean um so my hope is that we we can get back to that relatively shortly yeah i hope so as well so you are investing now in, in early stage companies and you mentioned already the psychological side that you're looking for what else do you look for in companies and startups that you might invest in yeah i mean the psychological piece is a big piece and then i think the business model, obviously, you know, the disruption, there's just so much disruption going on everywhere. So, you know, seeing companies that are looking at disrupting or changing a business model is always very, very interesting. And then the team dynamic, I think, is a, a big piece too. But I think for me, like I said, I usually can tell really quickly, you know, psychologically, you know, if I think someone is going <laughs> to gonna be successful or, or not. So that's, Maybe I'm unique in, the, in that. I, I don't want to hurt someone make their major focus the psychological piece. But for me, that's a big, really big piece. Yeah. Well, you know, I do think most investors invest in people, even though the opportunity has to be good. They're investing in people at the end of the day because people can either make or break it a good opportunity. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, Darren, this has really been great. I always like to end my conversations with asking if there was one piece of advice that you would leave with our listeners, what would it be? <laughs> Honestly, I think it, it's what I brought up before is the why. You know, why are you doing something? I think it's so funny. You meet a lot of entrepreneurs and you look at a lot of businesses and marketing plans and all kinds of things. And one of the things that some companies still don't have, which I always, when I ask, is at least a rough mission statement or why are you, why are you doing this? I and mean, something that really resonates, you know, you can usually tell by reading them if it's kind of someone's not put their heart into it. So I always would ask students like, you know, why am I doing this? Start in that place. Really, if you can understand that, I think most of the rest kind of follows from there. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. You know, I think entrepreneurship and an entrepreneurial journey is a huge investment of time, talent, and treasure. So I think that's really, really prime advice to make sure we're doing it for the right reasons because otherwise that all of that time and money should be going to something else that really will get you where you want to be. And so this has just been delightful, Darren. I know you've got a great story and congratulations on all your success. I know our students and other startups, early stage companies, entrepreneurs will enjoy hearing your story. If they wanted to connect with you and maybe even share their business idea, how could they do that? Yeah, no, I, I love doing that. And I welcome people reaching out. Probably the best way is just LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn such a great tool. Just add me on LinkedIn, drop me a note, and we can set up a call. But I love talking to entrepreneurs or even people that are thinking about being entrepreneurs. So find me on LinkedIn or if you know, they want my email, you can get it from Dr. White. Like that, That's totally fine. All right. Thank you, Darren. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, today. this this was great. <laughs> 